0: Thank you all so much for listening and sharing this podcast. I'm incredibly grateful to get to do what I love with the people who I'm proud to work with. So I wanted to give a special shout out to Jake. Thank you for being an amazing audio engineer. Chloe in PR, who books our amazing guest, and Alex, who edits all of these as video interviews on YouTube. So if you wanna see what these great leaders look like and watch us talking, make sure to subscribe to our YouTube, Modern CTO. And of course, shout out to Fabiana, who does all of our product management and coaching for LeaderBits. This podcast has changed my entire life for the better, and I just wanted to say thank you to all of you for listening. Now, get excited because today we are talking to Rob Daw, the CTO at Hexagon Mining, and we discuss the evolution of technology in mining, strategies for running an effective global team, and how Hexagon is using AI to make the industry safer for everyone. All of this right here, right now, on the Modern CTO Podcast. Here we go. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. Morning, evening. How you going, mate? It's like six AM where you are. Pretty much. So, have you adopted? Like, are you on a different, like, are you on a sleep schedule where you get up ridiculously early because you work with a mining company, or no?
1: Yeah, pretty much. Usually five five thirty AM is about the uh, stock standard. Plus, I've got two younger children as well, so that um, that completely throws the spanner in the works. How old? <laughs> Well, I've got—we just had twins, so we've, uh, they're now nearly four months, and uh, then also got a five-year-old and a seven-year-old. So it's a busy household.
0: So you got, so you got four. Yeah. Okay. See, that's that's. I only have two. I've got a a two and a half year old and a one nice. year old. Nice. So that's nice. like. Fun. I can't imagine twins as like the third <laughs> child is twins.
1: Yeah, you know that old adage, you go for the third and you get the twins. It's um,
0: <laughs> no one says story. that. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's oh, one of those man. ones, there,
1: right? When when you go to buy a car, right, and you all of a sudden you start to see that car driving around on the streets everywhere, it's the same sort of thing. When you once this has happened, everyone's like, Oh, yeah, that I had a friend that that happened to, and well, my uncle did that, and I'm like, Okay, it's quite common. Like, oh, man.
0: There. Well, so. I imagine that mining is like pretty big industry because I've had, I think I've had three people on the show that are from Australia and you're the, you're the second one, you're the, or you're, I'm sorry, you're the third, but um, two of the three are in mining. Is that a huge industry there?
1: It is. Yeah. I mean, it's probably our primary industry um, and export out of the country. So especially on the West coast, it's very, very heavily focused on, on mining East coast. You have a little bit more tourism and a few other bits and pieces, but um, yeah, it is massive.
0: And then uh, so Lachlan was the guy who uh, last, last guy I talked to about about a year, year and a half ago that was doing some uh, mining and some technology and mining, really cool guy. And I ended up naming my my son after him. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So that no. spot's already been taken. But is, nah, Lachlan, go. is that a common name over there, Lachlan? No, nah, not really. No. Okay, cool. Yeah, I've, I've been telling everybody it is. <laughs> i was like lachlan cool name i'm like oh it's like john in australia it's very common (laughs) so was mining like a family business how did you get into that
1: no um so i came from the agriculture business um so i'm one of four as well so i used to the bigger families and um I think uh, growing up, my, I was the youngest, so I already had three brothers who were in agriculture and my eldest brother was on the farm already, so there was not enough room for another one. Um, so I looked at other industries, other ways I could um, work in the primary sector and decided to jump over and um, into the mining uh, business. So it was something that was really interesting and intrigued me, the mining game, and I um. Also wanted to do a job that wasn't office based, but I could also still get out and about and and get some sunshine. Um, so I kind of looked at what um, industries, what jobs in those industries were available and ultimately ended up picking and surveying and that um that got me started into the industry.
0: So when you were in agriculture, were you doing technology over there and or, or just other things?
1: I think you do by default, I don't, I was never in technology in, in agriculture but you're always looking for ways you can improve the business so whether that's from a software point of view with the agribusiness and, and figuring out your numbers and finances all the way through to how can you automate your your equipment to do, be able to do the job better and faster and quicker so I think I kind of grew up thinking is that mentality of you know how can we make this easier how can we make it faster just to try and make it a bit more efficient, I guess.
0: So is like autonomous technology pretty popular right now in the mining world?
1: Hugely. I think um, everyone, if they haven't implemented it, they're talking about implementing it and when and how. I think it's still a long, Journey to go, especially for a lot of our brownfields, so existing operations, to get to that step. But uh, it's definitely a, a very hot topic, um, and the industry is really starting to adopt, you know, or, or think about how do we, what sort of procedures and standards do we need to put in place to really you know, make this work? I guess.
0: So when I think about mining, I've got two visuals in my head. The first visual is like. Uh, like a mine shaft with some guys in there with like a like a pickaxe, right? <laughs> and, the, and the second visual I have is giant vehicles and like blowing up like sides of mountains strategically. Is that are both of those things still happening today?
1: Um, not so much on the pick and shovel space. Okay, um, I think we've mechanized a lot of those processes, so. We still have a lot of people um, on the air legs. So if you have, remember, or don't know if you've ever seen a picture of one of the little pneumatic drills that goes in and actually mines out the very narrow vein type um, materials. So that's still very hands-on and, and quite challenging. And then, you know, the, the tools to get the material out, but we've definitely mechanised that process a significant amount um, from the underground point of view. And then, if you look at open pit, yeah, it's just how do we, it's bigger, faster. Um, How do we get that material from A to B as quick as possible and most, and as efficiently as possible?
0: So that, so you used a cool word that I, that I hadn't applied to this before. So you call it mechanized. Like if I take a manual job and add mechanics to it, that's what you refer to as mechanization. And then you're going to, and then automation would be the next step.
1: Yeah, exactly. 100%. Um, I think if you, how do you help? uh, I mean, our end game is how do we reduce the amount of people in um, dangerous zones or in, in dangerous jobs? How do we help them? So first step is that how can we use mechanization to actually help them do their job better? And then I think as we move further into that autonomous world, it's how do we then you know, reduce the amount of exposure we have in the industry to these types of roles. So continually working down that path, I think.
0: So where do you guys focus? Do you guys, you build, do you build like the giant machines that you're mechanizing? Do you build sensors for safety? Like where, where do you focus in the stack of of things? Like help me understand because I don't know much about mining.
1: Yeah, from a Hexagon point of view, we're very heavily focused on the sensor data, so acquisition of that information, and then the use of that data to be able to improve the process and ultimately automate it as well. So we, we don't deal in creating equipment, but what we do is we, we kind of, our catchphrase is that we are OEM independent. So we're able to work with a lot of the different OEMs and be able to leverage our technology from I guess mine planning, which is the very one of the first processes on a mine site, through to operational technology. So how do we use fleet management to understand where our assets are, what they're doing and how we optimize them. Uh, We also look at safety. So we've got collision avoidance, making sure that we can keep people safe, not just vehicle to vehicle, but vehicle to person or, or V2X type technology. Uh, And then we're moving more and more into the autonomous space and also into enterprise technologies. So using all of that data that we gather in those sensors, in those point solutions to be able to create a bit more of a holistic view for our operations that they can start to get a better picture of what's happening in their organization. And then luckily enough, through the Hexagon family, we have access to a significant amount of technology that we bring and adopt into the mining industry. So we also have uh, our survey equipment and our geotech, uh, geo-monitoring side of things. So making sure that as we design pits, we effectively try and design open pits to collapse on themselves at a certain point, right? Because that's the most economical and efficient way to get the material out. But during that process, we want to make sure people are safe. So hey, we want to be able to monitor and track that information and be able to use that in real time back to be able to protect um, people and assets.
0: No, I love. I love what you guys are doing, and I like. Sounds like you get to play with a lot of different types of technology, from from the planning type of software all the way to maybe like having libraries and kits that OEMs can install, so you can get data and process data. And then I, I just think it's pretty cool the the wide array array of different things you can do. Now, did you ever catch um, a Joe Rogan and Elon Musk podcast? Did you hear that? No, I didn't. So uh, Elon is talking about. Um, them pulling the permit uh, to, to build a pit, like to dig a pit. Uh, cause, yep. cause Joe was like, Oh, how do you, how do you build an underground tunnel? He's like, well, you start with just the hole. So you get a permit for a pit. All right. And, and so then I, I was thinking about that before this podcast, I was excited to like talk with you. H- have you seen that project the boring company?
1: Not from the, I've, I've kept up with it in terms of the boring company, but I've not, haven't seen it live. No.
0: do do you think that that concept the the boring company concept of like drilling these 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 tunnels and these holes and then allowing traffic to flow through them do you like that what's your what's your gut reaction just as a as a i guess spectator of the industry
1: absolutely i mean i think we've been doing it in mining for a number of years not for the traffic flow obviously but but um for how we extract some of the minerals from underground It's um it's a pr- pretty commonplace technology for us. So it's, um, yeah, it's exciting to see and it's always nice to see uh, the sort of technology and the, the processes that we have in mining be adopted into more civil um, projects as well, I guess. And the surface is pretty crowded when we look at cities and, and, and going into sort of smart cities. So we've either got to go up into the air or we've got to go underground to get some tunnels going. So I think we're we we're uh, I don't know how far away we are from bound to fly around the place, but... Um, uh, I think the underground side of things is um, definitely uh, a big opportunity for us. So,
0: so this is a concept that exists in your world. Like we have minerals over here, so we're going to, you know, dig, dig down, dig across, and then create this like little underground road to go get the minerals in and out of.
1: Absolutely. So, I mean, it depends on the ore body itself and everything else. But underground mining is probably it's very capital intensive. But it's the most efficient way to extract material again depending on the ore body um, out of the ground so I guess we've you know been doing underground mining for centuries in terms of that that goes back to your sort of pick pick and shovel and uh, and probably getting the material out right and the next step was to um, yeah mechanize it and take it into these big borers and you know doing either raised bores or into the surface and stuff like that so yeah it's um Definitely, it's a cool space. I love underground working in, and the technologies that have been applied to it. So
0: so that word ore, like I, I hear a lot in, in my research. I, I saw it come up a lot. Is it like a like a variable, like a generic word for the material that you guys use?
1: Correct. So you have effectively have ore and waste. So ore is the stuff that you're trying to mine. And that so whether you have um, all the different commodities, right? You know, for your example, like iron ore, Gold, copper, all the different um, commodities, whether they be precious or bulk commodities. That's what we sort of loosely term as ore, and then you have your waste, and you're trying to distinguish between the two.
0: Okay, ore and waste. All right, see, like, this is like 101. Jake's like, shut up. This is He's like, <laughs> he <was laughs> like, we get it. But I don't think a lot of people know about mining, though. It's not like we're, like, doing programming 101 stuff. Uh, yeah, this is Mining 101, right? So. Mining 101, that's the theme of this podcast. <laughs> that's it, mate, yeah. L- last year I got to talk with Miguel, who is um, the, the CTO of, at the time he was the CTO of New York City, and now he's over at MasterCard. But the topic of that show was smart cities, like how New York City and different cities are becoming smart cities. Do they have Do they have smart minds? Is that like a, like a thing?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, that's the nirvana, and that's the path that we're all heading in for mines in terms of creating more technology to make our mines smarter and more efficient. Um, and that's probably one of our, I guess, catchphrases from a Hexagon point of view is really how do we how do we make them smarter? How do we make uh, take autonomous into autonomy so that we can really start to look at the processes and the technologies and ultimately extract that ore safer, faster, and more efficiently. But it's not just about the extraction of the ore. There's so many more processes that we have in mining downstream. So if you look at the processing plan, if you look at rail, if you look at taking it all the way down to the the port, it's um how do we take all of that information and, and actually optimize it and uh, get smarter and better with it?
0: So have you ever had these, these data points and these systems running when a mine like accident has happened so you can go back and look at the data like as precursors to a mine accident?
1: Yeah unfortunately um, we've had those sort of circumstances that have happened um, where an incident has happened and it's important for us as operations to be able to go back and understand what actually happened and it's it's not about a finger pointing exercise it's really about how do we go back and how do we improve the operation? How do we mitigate the risks? How do we help our operators or the people in that environment be safer and be able to do the job in a safe way and be able to go home every night? So through some of the technologies we have, um, let's say an example would be our collision avoidance system. We're able to actually backtrack through the, the time series and understand what was the operator doing what was the environmental conditions, so kind of situational awareness, and be able to tie all that to get information together and be able to paint a picture for for the investigation as to what possibly happened and uh, and what was happening at the time?
0: Yeah, because if a bad thing happens, like it's a positive, like if you were able to capture data and be able to avoid those in the future, right?
1: hundred percent. I mean, it's a bad thing that happens from if you know um, someone's gotten hurt or the equipment's gotten damaged or something like that. But it's even worse if you don't learn from it. You know, um, so, you know, it's that old sort of analogy of it's only a mistake if you don't learn from it. So it's really making sure that we we do that right investigation with the right information
0: possible. So if I were to, and like enlight- you said that you like to 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 be in a job where you can go outside and like interact. So if I were like, if, if I were to visit and you took me to a mine site, right? Like hypothetically, is there going to be like autonomous little wally type robot creatures doing activities? Like how are there autonomous things happening out there?
1: Uh, no, not to that level. Not yet. <laughs> unfortunately, it'd be nice. It'd be interesting. I think where we've really started is with the fleets that we have out in the field. So if you look at those massive trucks that you, you might see, those we're automating so they're able to drive themselves, which is very impressive and quite daunting at the same time when you see these massive vehicles driving past you and no one's behind the steering wheel. it's um, It kind of takes your breath away the first few times. And then also drill rigs and things like that. But we've, we've still got a, so many opportunities in the mining environment for us to be able to automate that uh, I think it's just, it's going to be a continuous story for us. Um, and to be able to do it where it makes sense, I think is also going to be one of the, one of the key areas.
0: So when you were talking about the trucks and they'll being really big and going by you, that's an interesting thing for me because uh, a lot of the conversations that I've had just, you know, for me, uh, subjectively, have been around, I guess uh, like cars on the street, right? Like autonomous vehicles. That's just a popular consumer topic but you guys have, it's different because you're out there and you're not technically on roads. It's like a construction site for lack of a better term. So I would imagine that that would have the leniency or the the room to actually accelerate and start using that technology sooner. So are are those autonomous trucks like things that are actually happening on a normal basis?
1: Yeah, absolutely. We're, We're lucky enough that we, because we do, as you said, own the land, or we we can own the infrastructure, so we can actually run these sorts of vehicles off in a in their own little space, um, in a protected area, protected zone where we can minimise the amount of interactions with other vehicles or other people. So it really um, it enables us to try and push this uh, technology and the bounds that we do with it. So yeah, we're lucky in that sense for sure.
0: So what's what's the competition like? Is it a highly competitive market? Is it something? where you guys yeah like what's the competition like
1: i think it's um for autonomous it's really been uh owned by the oems i guess they know the vehicles themselves are able to to run faster and i think this has been a 20 25 year journey for for a lot of companies on moving into autonomous it's not something that's just happened overnight um from a oem sort of agnostic platform there's a lot less in that space, so you know companies coming in and actually sort of disrupting the that OEM space. But we're really, uh, really pushing heavily on how do we, how do we work and partner with those OEMs to create an environment that is sort of interchangeable that gives the best of breed and opportunities for our clients to be able to grab what they need when they need for autonomy, which is kind of a bit of a different concept. Instead of looking at the full stack of tech, it's like, well, how do we get into that space and help those clients as well.
0: And so what is, as like a CTO, what does your team look like?
1: (laughs) Very diverse. So we've got, in my particular portfolio, we've got about seven or eight development houses around the world from Vancouver to Tucson to Belo Horizonte, Brisbane, Perth, and up into Switzerland in Zug. So I've got a, a very unique team. We've got a lot of different cultures, which is fantastic. I love it because it comes with different, the different cultures come with different ideas and different concepts of how to do things. So it's a quite an interesting melting pot when we bring everyone together uh, to be able to understand their life experiences, their technologies and where they want to be able to take them. It really it gives us a, a good leg up into where we should be heading into the future with it. So... Yeah, very, very diverse on the cultural front. And yeah, the catalyst of that is um, we've acquired quite a lot of different companies and we really encourage those companies when they come in under the hexagon fold to really grow and and build those up. So consequence is we have different development centres around the world, which is can be challenging at some times as well and hence the reason why I don't mind being up so early and, and uh, getting on phone calls. But it does also bring that really unique dynamic of Different experiences, and, and especially in the mining industry, is which is such a global business as well.
0: So, when when you do these mergers and acquisitions, is that like a separate team, or do you get involved as a as a CTO?
1: Yeah, no, hundred percent get involved. Um, we we do you know, have to do the due diligence on that. We got to we look at the technology and how that fits into our technology stack. Um, you know, obviously, you're you're always looking for companies that can complement. Your, our story and our business of what we're trying to achieve in the industry. So it's really important for us to to look at that technology stack and, and understand what the challenges and what the benefits are going to be. But not just that, but also starting to create that rapport with those teams. We really want them to come in and, and hit the ground running. And, and um, one, the, one of the best ways to do that is to establish that relationship early with them and be able to build that rapport up and, and get confident in each other. I think it's no different to when you hire someone, you've got to spend time with people and understand what their strengths and weaknesses are. And I think that's, that's exactly the same when you look at acquisitions and you know, we're not trying to, we're just trying to trying to hit the ground and run as fast as possible with it.
0: So like when you have these cultures in, in different countries, which is great, but how do, how do you, like you said, I think you had seven different development houses. How, and while they'll, they'll all have their own culture, right, but how do you, like, bring it together under the hexagon umbrella, like, as the leader of the technologist?
1: Yeah, there's a few different techniques that you can use, I guess. Um, uh, one of them is uh, en- annually we have a catch-up with the bulk of the team. Uh, we all get together for a full week, and we we hash out what is our strategic initiatives? What's our roadmaps? Where we want to go as a company on a technology standpoint, um, and also some of the back end processes as well. You know, down to how do we want to use our technology, like our, our JIRA to be able to do our job better and things like that. So it's really an open forum to be able to come with your ideas and and be able to workshop through some of those things. The other aspects is we have a annual we call it a minor day where we can have teams around the world and they have the opportunity to take some time out of their day-to-day job and go and do some innovative projects that they either want to work on or they think could really change the game in the industry as well. So those are a couple of different techniques that we use. And then you've got the other daily catch-ups and bits and pieces that we work through. And it's about putting, I guess, the right structures through that those teams so that they are, enabled i think that's the the biggest thing for us is we're, we're very light in terms of um the management structure we really want our teams and our people to be enabled to be able to make those decisions and as we always call it just
0: run faster so, so there's no magic like culture wand you can just wave and everybody gets along.
1: <laughs> i wish no, no, no. I, I think we're quite lucky because we've all got that mining background and and um, drive. So we, it doesn't, it's actually quite easy. Like either I'm very lucky and I've got a, a fantastic team, which I definitely do. Um, or uh, yeah, we've just, we've, we've lucked it in somehow, but yeah.
0: A little bit of both, right? You get the experience to put the right teams together and make the right acquisitions and then you create that sort of self-fulfilling uh, system that constantly attracts those types of people productive and yeah, I like it.
1: Yeah, I think and it's a really having the right vision and strategy defined as a business, not just from a technology point of view, but as a business really helps drive that message. So having that you know, number one smart technology provider um, and life of mine for us, it's a life of mine vision and really helps the whole business and as much as the technology group to have focus on what we're really trying to achieve.
0: One of the things that I'm always curious about is uh, how did you actually like meet and, and get involved with Hexagon? Like, did you meet the CEO? Like, how, how did you get pulled into that company? <laughs> I
1: was one of those acquisitions, right? So I was oh, actually um, a co-founder of, of my own business um, about seven or eight years, or, uh, nearly 10 years ago now. And about three years ago, Hexagon uh, acquired my company. And I think this is probably a testament to the business itself because you can go through that whole sort of acquisition phase and then be done with it and go, yeah, cool, I'm gonna, going uh, exit the business and and sort of go exit stage left. But what we're being able to do in Hexagon is is exciting and and wants to be uh, we all want to be involved in it. So I kind of transitioned from that business owner into the CTO role about. Uh, 12, nine months
0: ago. See, like I, I love it when I get to talk to like founders, <laughs> right? Because, yeah. because there's like, so, and there's nothing wrong with taking the corporate CTO path. There's, there's nothing wrong with it at all. It's just there's, um, it's just it's different. It's just a different experience when you, when you have, uh, the weight of the technology division, but also the entire organization, and you've done that before. Uh, so I got a lot of respect. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh,
1: Cheers. Um, No, I think it's just at scale as well, right? So I think, um, as I said, mining industry is quite, it's a global business. And sometimes in different areas, you can have a really strong focus on your technology. And then but what Hexagon can then also help you and provide you is that scale to take it into a global market. And um, that that's not easy to do. I think anyone who's tried it will put their hand up and say it's a very challenging process and it's unique that there is a company like Hexion that's so enabled to be able to help those businesses do that. Then not just that, but then be able to progress and push the technology further. It's, um, yeah, it's fantastic.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's hard enough to order something from another country, let alone expand (laughs) your business into it. Right? Exactly. So I want to I want to um, dive a little bit deeper in, into the acquisition. So, well, the first question is: When they did the acquisition of your company, did you come over directly as a CTO, or did you have a, another role in, and then and then become CTO later?
1: Uh, I had another role. So typically, you know, any acquisition there's always an element of a I guess an earnout where you've got particular goals or whatever it might be. So you've, we effectively ran the business as usual, but just with this now massive force behind you. Um, so I continued to sort of be the the uh, managing director of the business and really focused in on the BD aspect and, and helping the rest of the globe understand what the technology was, how to sell it, how to implement it, and those multiple hats that you wear in your own business typically. Uh, so I continued to do that for a couple of years. And then once that earnout was done, we uh, quickly transitioned over into the CTO role and and kind of took on a more strategic business role within Hexagon.
0: Nice. So when I just want to unpack a uh, BD for business development, right? you that's what you were referring to.
1: Yeah, business development, basically. Yeah.
0: Yep. So you came in or, or you did the acquisition and during the earnout, you you went around and, and essentially like it sold and explain the technology like to the people selling it within hexagon like other parts of hexagon
1: yeah but i mean within the hexagon mining framework we we've okay. got different um global reaches there so we have you know us canada we have latam we have apac we have europe uh, middle east uh, and asia there so we kind of we've got different hubs so i went in and a helped train up and upskill those groups but also talking directly with clients still and making sure that we were pushing and promoting the technology. I, I, we're a much smaller business, so coming from that sense, you kind of wear multiple hats in those sorts of business, right? Everything from uh, marketing into sales, into services, into uh, product management world as well. So, um, yeah, that, that kind of, we continue to push that. And then uh, the desire for me was always around the technology and um, ultimately how we can change or continue to change the game in the mining industry. So that was why I was quite excited to then go in and take that CTO role afterwards.
0: Yeah, I, I like that explanation because a lot of people who, who haven't been through like an M&A process. Um, well, at first it highlights a couple of benefits, but it also shows that it's still a people business because just because they bought you does not mean that all the different limbs of the organization understand what you do. You still have to go around and sell and explain and build relationships. You just get to do it within the same brand.
1: I think, and it's not just about acquisitions. I think even if you you take a new product to commercialization within your own business, you're still doing it, right? You're your own internal salesperson. So how do you take that technology? How do you hand that over to sales groups and get them to understand the benefits of that technology to be able to sell to clients? How do you transition that over to services and support so that your clients are getting the best value once they do implement the technology? I think that's that's all part of the product side and the technology and innovation side is that handshake to the rest of the business and and being able to um, commercialize it effectively.
0: So I'm going to give you a hypothetical here. So let's say that we've got some technology founders listening and they're you know building their first sales team out, right? What insight or advice would you give them as they put together that first sales team?
1: Uh, so around the the actual sales team itself or around sort of commercializing it in general?
0: I would say you've got, you've got a a founder, tech founder, who's making sales, uh, right. They're making some sales, they're doing it themselves, they're they're sending emails, they're getting meetings, they're making sales and they're going to build out their first sales team. Yep.
1: Make sure you trust the people that you're bringing in. They are representing your brand. They're representing, and depending on the size of your business, they're representing yourself as well. So take the time, invest into them, get to know them. Um, don't just throw them under the bus. Don't throw them into a, a meeting in the first week and expect them to be able to uh, deliver. It really is taking them on a journey to be able to understand, you know, in the mining industry, especially, you don't just go in to sell a product. You're going in to sell a solution. So you're going in to be able to partner with those, with those vendors, uh, with those clients and customers. So you really do need to be able to build that rapport with those people very quickly. So you know, depending on what type of business you're in, what sort of technology you're in, is domain experience important for you? Or um, I think it's just a number of questions dependent on. Uh, the type of technology and type of business that you're
0: in. So have you had any like people you'd consider mentors along your career?
1: Yeah, a number. I think um, where to start on that one. Um, I mean, obviously early on uh, growing up was definitely my dad and, and him sort of pushing me on uh, the different technologies, the different ways and work ethic along along the way on, Always sort of challenged the norm on that front into when I first started in the mining industry. Um, I had a, a mine manager there who was very much about similar sort of ilk, um, you know, and gave me probably my first piece of solid advice was if you want to climb the food chain, you always got to look at how you can make yourself redundant, which was kind of a, a, at the time I was about 1920 and I was kind of looking at it and going what do you mean? I don't want to make myself redundant. That just doesn't make sense. Like, But when I uh, stopped and actually started to think about it, it was more along the lines of, well, you can't be replaced in a business unless you actually build people up underneath you and take your role. So how do you, if you want to go into a more senior role, you've got to be able to have a, a good team that comes with you on that front. So it was um, yeah, quite an interesting piece of advice as a 19, 20-year-old. And then through, I think, especially once we, we went out and founded our business, um, had a lot of different coaches and mentors through there because you just don't know what you don't know. And I think you, you can come up with a great idea, you can come up with the code and be able to develop it, but you know some things around finances, around marketing, around go-to-market strategies. You know the experience is key in that area is what I found. And and we were lucky enough that we had some very um, uh, open people who are very willing to give us their time and their experience, which was, um, fantastic and really helped us out
0: a lot. Do you have any, any, um, any thoughts on, on being a, a successful productive entrepreneur executive while also being a parent?
1: <laughs> Get sleep when you can. Um, <laughs> I think any startup that you go into, right. It's. um, it's not easy. and to be able to get it, your technology through the commercialization and and further on, you are working long hours. Um, and we were lucky enough that we had a really strong support network behind us that really helped us, you know with school pickups and things like that. Um, you've you've just got to be able to rely on that. like so I, we actually I co-founded that business with my my wife now, so, Yeah, I mean, the two of us were in there and it was a pretty busy time. So, yeah, we were lucky enough that we had a really strong network that we could lean on uh, and be able to help us out.
0: Now, did you co-found the business before having kids?
1: Uh, Yes. So, I think within the the 10 years, we founded a business, we got married, we had two kids and then exited the business and then we had two more kids, so all within the last sort of uh, ten years. So it's um it's been a, a
0: productive decade, right? Yeah, I, when <laughs> I I started the um the podcast and the business, and like right when my wife was uh was pregnant, and then so like a couple months after I started, we had our first kid, and we had a second kid, and we're not going to do the third, especially after your twin mention. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: we'll see, we'll see.
0: <laughs> I'll be like talking to those damn Australians keeps <laughs> getting more kids. <laughs> oh, I love it. So, so when you guys went into that, cause like my wife and I, when, when we went, when when we started this, I said, look, you know, Elon Musk, um, someone I, I like to listen to a lot. Uh, he said, it's like starting a company is like staring into the abyss and eating glass. And I said, well, that's, that sounds fairly accurate as, as far as pain goes. And so I told her, I said, look, we could eat, like, I could either just continue doing what I was doing, building apps with with a small team, which was a business, but it was limited. I didn't have salespeople. I wasn't like growing into something that would be huge. Um, Or I go, I can take this risk and and execute on this advice and I can start something new um, that has the potential to be much larger. And so we just kind of had to both agree. And then back to me learning sales, then you have to resell them all the time (laughs) on the decision. Right. Exactly, exactly, yeah. So you guys talked about it and everything before you went into it, like...
1: Yeah, definitely. We um, And we, we went and sought a lot of advice beforehand as well. So, you know, company or, or former founders of different businesses, um, some successful, some not successful, got their advice, you know, and, and it was pretty much, you know, if you actually stopped and listened to that advice, you probably would never have done it. But I think that was probably... Um, what differentiated us and what drove us because it was like, oh, hang on, we've we've got a. we could see a gap. We could see the technology was needed. We really wanted to drive that. Um, So we uh, probably gave us a little bit more resolve in the end than it did. um, Then put us off that actual, uh, that that path. So, but yeah, definitely you've got to go and ask a lot of people, a lot of questions and understand it. whether it's viable or not and yeah it was quite quite interesting and quite funny all the different advice we got
0: so how how did you how, how did you like meet like how did you were you guys at a mining were you both in a pit a magical pit <laughs> 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 like how did you meet and decide to like co-found a company
1: yeah well not far off actually we um we were on a project together up on a mine site um and yeah we we got sort of Paired up into the, this particular project, and um, that we were sort of both worked for the same company, but kind of in different areas, so we didn't ever really cross paths. And then this project came off, and we needed to work together, and
0: yeah, away we went. And then, and then you were on a date. You were sitting next to her, and then there just happened to be a diamond like in the mine because you guys are mining diamonds and <laughs> that's how you propose.
1: <laughs> oh, I wish <laughs> uh, no, there's there's nothing more romantic than having a dinner in a, in a mining camp, um, you know, with a thousand other people walking around uh, in their trays. You've got to experience it to understand it.
0: <laughs> yeah. Sitting there eating like a can of tuna with work boots on.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: fun. So what, what can we do? We have this audience, you know, a lot of CTOs, lead developers, engineers, founders, managers, technology, man- like how can we use this audience to help you guys? Are you guys hiring attracting talent? Like what could we do for you?
1: Yeah, I think um, we're always continuing to grow and look at how we can expand our portfolio. So there's a couple of different areas, I guess. Obviously, we always are looking at mining technology companies, understanding where they fit in the in the business and, and what they're, you know, they're doing in the industry. It's really interesting to see all the different gaps and, and how people are applying different technologies. So I think um, the door's always open to be able to actually have that conversation and, and see if there's synergies, if there's opportunity for us to be able to work together um, in that in that industry, it's too small not to be able to work together. So there's that aspect of it. Um, the other side of it, we are continuing to, to grow and build out our teams. So I think uh, if we look at last year itself, we had uh, about a 15% growth in our TNI group in terms of um, you know bums on seats. So we're looking at you know sustainable growth in that business. So everything from developers through to um, UI UX, into product managers, project managers. Um, It's definitely a really energetic and and enthusiastic um, environment to be able to work in. And as I said, uh, our real aim and goal is how do we run faster and how do we deliver technology to the industry better and quicker? So, yeah, I think that's definitely two key areas there that um, I'd be really excited to see if we can get some, some opportunities out of this.
0: Yeah. And so we'll put a link in the show notes to the career page on the website and we'll put uh, you know, a link to your LinkedIn. I'm sure you're on LinkedIn, right?
1: Yes, I am.
0: Yeah. All right. And we'll, and we'll, we'll drive people there and, and you know, they hear you, they hear the culture, they get to, and then I actually found out that this was happening like probably about a year into the podcast people, I would talk with them and they would say, hey, oh yeah, you know, someone had heard, heard the podcast and then heard my story and reached out to me. I relocated them halfway across the United States and now they've been one of my, my best like project managers or product designers. And then I was like, oh, I had no idea that that had ever happened because the individual had then worked with them for a whole year before I found out. And so I started asking, like sending emails out and asking around, has this happened? They're like, oh, yeah.'" like a lot of people said, Oh yeah, yeah. People have contacted me after hearing you on the podcast and like, I've ended up hiring them or working with them. And I said, Whoa, I can't believe that this happens. What a cool thing. Because because who we work with is so important, like to know that there's a cool person out there and that you have, you know, these connect connections and that, you know, it's like this community. I I just, I don't know.
1: Yeah, no, awesome. I think it's one of those ones, right? It's not, it's not what you know; it's who you know, and it's how you get connected. And there's all so many mediums out there now, and I think yeah, this is a fantastic medium to be able to uh, to make those connections. So.
0: so as as we start to wrap up here, I'm gonna run another hypothetical one one on you. Uh, so what's right. yep? We are we are in a pit. <laughs> We're in a pit. <laughs> yep. And all of a sudden, out of the ground comes Elon Musk in one of his boring machines, right? <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> With the flamethrower? With the flamethrower. Yes. It's a flamethrower on the tip of it. It's it's very theatrical. He gets out and uh he says, Hey guys, check it out. And inside we go inside the, the boring machine and he's got this uh time machine inside the boring machine, right? <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Very, very phone booth like uh device. And he's he said it's specifically made for Rob's DNA. Like no one else can use this machine, and you're going to go right. back to that 19 year old version of yourself and give give that individual one piece of advice what would it be
1: oh good question i think probably enjoy the ride and don't try and run like too far ahead of yourself i think it's sometimes you can get caught up in where you're heading and you really do have to sort of stop and and uh, take in what you've been able to achieve and where you are and, and what you're doing at the time so that you can make sure you're, you're doing it really effectively. So I think for me, it's really, yeah, understanding where you are in life and enjoying that moment. And it's not just from a work point of view, but also from a life point of view and, and um, yeah, don't be in too much of a hurry.
0: Great advice, man. That was, that was like mic drop. I love it. Dude, we did it. <laughs> Rob, we, success, man. We made a podcast. How do you feel?
1: Ah, oh, perfect. Um, I'm good now. We'll see how it comes out when I listen to it.
0: No, oh, it's going it. to be beautiful. Yeah.
1: <laughs> we'll blame
0: it on Jake. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It'll sound great. No, That's were... I was one of
1: those ones, right? You cringe when you hear your own voice for the first few times. But yeah.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I'll have Jake and Chloe loop back uh, with you. And then if you're ever doing some big conference or anything in the States, let me know. And if I'm, uh, if I'm, i I tour around to conferences all the time maybe we'll stop by and say hello.
1: Yeah, it sounds good. I think from ours, probably the one that might be of interest to you because it's going to be a massive technology show will be Mine Expo this year. It's um, every four years in Las Vegas. Um, it's probably the biggest show that we have in the mining industry and everyone from the, the Caterpillars, the bit massive OEMs all the way through to the small startups um, get the opportunity to present what they're doing in that space.
0: So they only have this conference every four years? Yeah, I mean, we have
1: multiple, multiple other conferences around the world every year and stuff like that, but this is really a a, a big four year conference. Yeah,
0: and it's it's in twenty twenty. Oh, I think Nev just posted about it. Oh, it's in yeah, September, September Yeah. So I, I have family. I have family in Las Vegas. Um, that's actually pretty cool. I'll, I'll put that on my calendar with Chloe because uh, that that's actually time of year we usually are out in Vegas anyway. So maybe we'll run into yeah. you then.
1: There you go. Awesome. We'll there. Well, thank
0: you so much, buddy. You have a wonderful, productive day and uh, we'll talk soon.
1: Cheers, mate. Have a good evening. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Thanks. Cheers. Bye.